There is one overmastering problem that the socially and politically disinherited always face. Under what terms is survival possible? The masses of people live with their backs constantly against the wall. They are the poor, the disinherited, the dispossessed. This is Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Pass the Mic. Dynamic voices for a diverse church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter at Burns23. Follow at your own risk. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, the best-selling author, Mr. Blue Check Verified himself, Jamar Tisby. What's going on, brother? You know what it is, man. We got the hotness for the people. I think this is an important episode. I'm glad we're doing it. I hope it's helpful to people. So we talked about this before, but the idea is a little bit different in a confusing, murky, partisan political space where everything is hotly contested and divisive and there's no more middle. We're only dealing with the polarities of the extremes. We're trying to figure out how do we navigate this as a, particularly as a black Christian, what are some best practices for dealing with uh, the political season. Now, right now we're in 2020. We're in the midst of the 2020 election and the primaries are, are, are hotly, you know, being contested right now. But we think that this applies to really any political season. So it doesn't really matter what it is. And, and honestly, it might apply to many different political environments as well. So not just an American context. That's right. Right now, there's a lot of noise out there, a lot of people telling you how you should think, who you should vote for, what you shouldn't think or vote for, uh, who to trust, those kinds of things. We want to help a little bit, I hope, by cutting through some of the noise and providing some concrete strategies, tactics, best practices that we found are helpful for navigating the political landscape. And like you said, it's not just for like a presidential election. This could be for state and local politics. This could be helpful in churches or family conversations. So again, I hope it helps give some guide rails to people as we think about all of the information and all the possibilities available available to us in this political landscape. I completely agree. And I'm also trying to think of the person who just really sees this this murkiness and sees the 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 level of vitriol and says, I'm I'm out. I'm yes, done with right, it. Right, right. So I don't know what to do, so I'm just not gonna do anything or I'll just blindly cast a vote for whatever politician. <laughs> you know, and I think it's really important for us to lean in with some best practices here. So I'll let you start, Jamar. I'll give you deference here. I think we have six ways in total, six ways to navigate the political spectrum from a black Christian perspective. Jamar, what's number one for you? So the first guideline I would say is stay current stay current on political happenings. So Mm. I've always voted in presidential elections ever since I turned 18 and could vote. But I really got catalyzed during the 2016 presidential election cycle and starting Mm. even before that, right? In June 2015, where uh, the current president, Donald Trump, descends the escalator in uh, Trump Towers and announces his candidacy for president by saying that we have an immigration problem. Oh, my goodness. And saying that Mexican (laughs) rapists are crossing the border and committing crimes in the United States. And that turned into a big, big furor. So I was trying to following that. And then another thing happened and another thing happened and another thing happened. So I find find myself actually starting to stay up to date mm. on the news, particularly the presidential um, and, and political cycle, more than I ever had before. And in a way, we've had to, particularly right. under the current administration and Congress, there's always something new happening every right. day. Right. So I record this other podcast footnotes about current events, and it's a little frustrating because I can record on Tuesday, <laughs> and the, the podcast comes out Thursday, and right. in between, there's something incredibly different. Sure, sure So sure. It's, it's hard to keep up with it, but there's actually no shortcut. There's no other way. If you want to stay an informed voter, an informed citizen, an informed political actor, then you have to stay current. So what are some ways to do that? Most of us these days have smartphones. Right. There's a news app 
that that has all kinds of headlines. Um, you can also curate your own feed and set alerts for certain things um, uh, that have to do with political events. You can also uh, subscribe to you know your favorite um, local or national newspaper, and they'll they'll give you daily, weekly, weekend mm-hmm. updates. There's also podcasts uh, that are that are news podcasts. They're short, 13, 15 minutes or so, um, and you can listen to it on your commute to work or something like that, and that'll help you stay up to date. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think even monitoring how you stay current and maybe yes. monitoring the rhythm of that is great to avoid burnout and to avoid overload. Cause I think there's a level of information overload, right? No doubt. Yeah. You have to set boundaries on it because so much of the information coming at us is negative. Mm-hmm. It's big. It's over. It's national. It's global. Right. And then you're thinking I'm one person and what can I do? This is all too overwhelming. So the, the tendency would be to completely unplug and step back. Right. Take it in small doses. Um, even reading headlines sometimes, right? Just to just to say, okay, what's happening, and then coming back to it, save an article, those kinds of things. But that's that's a point very well taken that we can't just constantly be absorbing yeah. these current new current events as far as politics without taking breaks. That much information, even good information, is going to drown us. And I think it's really important for us to to really monitor our souls as well. But okay, number one for me, and it kind of connects to this, but I want to encourage us not to fall, or in other words, don't fall for the clickbait headline. All right. And actually, I want to expand that. Don't fall for the clickbait website. <laughs> okay. And the reason I say that is because there are some websites that are geared toward only providing one perspective and presenting the other side in the most uncharitable light possible. And I think that does damage and war to our souls. I think that ravages our ability to see people as human beings. And I think it further divides us in a time where we should at least be trying to understand to the best of our ability what our neighbor is thinking, what they're believing, and how they're feeling about the political landscape. I'll never forget I was uh, reading an article, and I had seen it come up in my Facebook feed, and someone uh, sent that article to me. So they sent that article to me and they were like, hey, you know, this is this what's going on. I can't believe this. And and I remember looking at it and it felt really weird. Right. So there are certain words that are um, triggers for me now in the political season. OK. So especially on social media, any word like destroys. OK. If two people are having a conversation and someone destroys the other person. Uh, number one, that's not true. They they didn't disintegrate. I see them. They're still <laughs> living. But I think number two, um, I, I think that's really kind of a bad way of viewing this. You know, it becomes politics becomes sports, you know. And I was like, uh, I don't really know if they destroy them. Also annihilates, obliterates. Um, and then in this particular headline, it was. It was very incendiary language. So I took a step back. I said, let me actually read this. So I read through the headline and I was like, wait a minute. And then I was like, what does the bill say? And so I was like, let me go look up the bill here really quickly, because the language that was being used, it wasn't in quotes. It was an interpretation of what the bill said. So I'm like, okay, so the bill doesn't say this, but at the same time, you're interpreting through the headline. That's clickbait. <laughs> like that's the essence of clickbait. And that's also misleading. So I had to sit down and tell the person, listen, I want you, I'm not saying it's good. I just want you to see the difference of what's happening here. So are the news sources that you're trusting, are there headlines and are there overall philosophy to news and to current events? Is that actually something that is reporting or is it analysis? Mm. Or is it commentary, mm. masking as reporting? That's totally different. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us to be nuanced in that way. Um, I, there's another thing that happened recently. Someone said that, um, you know, the president is protecting prayer in schools. <laughs> so they said the president is protecting prayer in schools. And everyone's like, oh, thank you, sir. And when you actually look inside what's happening. It's no teeth to it. And beyond that, it's nothing that would actually move any needle that they think it moves. And it's also he's very he's towing a very careful line as it relates to what's constitutional and unconstitutional. So he's doing just enough lip service to make it seem like, oh, I signed this. 
Right. When in reality, it doesn't give you anything that you think yeah, it does. Yeah. But the headline, based upon the clickbait website, makes you think that everything is changing. And I think particularly those of us in a Southern context who have overall skepticism as it relates to media fall prey to just the easiest low-hanging fruit headlines. And I think that's a problem. And can I add to that some, some data? So as far as like news sources and, and, and whatnot, it's important to diversify your news sources as well. And there is a Pew Research Center study in an article called Political Polarization and Media Habits. It talks about striking differences between liberals and conservatives. And so people who identified as consistent liberal liberals have an array of main news sources that they go to. Um, they 15% said CNN, 12% MSNBC, 13% NPR, 10% New York Times. By contrast, consistent conservatives are tightly clustered around one main source, and 47% of them said Fox News mm. was the main source of that. Mm. So you can talk about, like, you know, not falling for clickbait headlines and whatnot. Another aspect of that is having multiple news sources. Right, right. And if your only news source or the news source for almost half of people who identify um, as leaning a certain political way is one news source, right, that right. can be a problem. So, and, and even beyond that, I think what's, what's really interesting is uh, the, the way the national news works, it affects all local politics as well. True. So we're on this board um, in my local county for this initiative that's taking place that's going to be put on the ballot. And one of the initial polls that we did, it did an analysis of where everyone is getting their news from. And so it did this analysis of where everyone is getting their news from that voted in the poll. And it showed this pie chart and it was overwhelmingly one side. And they actually listed that as Hey, this is a, it's kind of like a nonpartisan thing that we're pushing, but this is really going to affect it because they're hearing from these national sources. And so it's oh. like, oh, wow. So this actually shapes the political landscape of my county and my city as well. And that's a problem. Right. Yeah. Right. What's number two for you? Number two for me is change racist policies, not just personal behavior. Okay. Bet. I like this. So. Ibram Kendi, in his book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, talks about racist policies. And honestly, I think that's the strongest part of the book. And he calls racist policy any measure that produces or sustains racial inequality between racial groups. Hmm. He goes on to say that these include written and unwritten laws, rules, procedures, processes, regulations, and guidelines that govern people. Mm -hmm. So I think this is really crucial that as we navigate politics, we need to be looking at policies, mm -hmm. and particularly those policies that create or perpetuate all kinds of inequality, but mm -hmm. particularly racial inequality. And that's that's important because it is very it is a very Western mindset in general to think individualistically. Right. But among Christians, and particularly like white evangelical Christians, there's like this hyper individualism. Yes. <laughs> so that so, so that problems yes. affecting society are mainly about personal attitudes and personal behavior. Sure. sure. And so, you know, if racism is fundamentally an individual prob problem of one person not liking another person, then the solution is to change that person's personal behavior, right? But that does nothing about the gap in public education funding. Mm -hmm. That does nothing about uh, immigration reform. That does nothing about healthcare disparities, right? Mm -hmm. And so all of the conversations, all of the cups of coffee and lunches in the world aren't going to change right. those policies. <laughs> right, right. So we right. need to focus on those policies, and, and that's why politics is important, right? You want to mm -hmm. change the structure and the system and the institutions that are creating inequality in the first place. Yeah. And so this is why freedom movements from, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, black movements for liberation to yeah. uh, women's movements, they're focused on changing laws because we understand that laws affect a broad number of people, hmm. and they are the levers that shift and move the frameworks that create 
equality or inequality in the I first like that. Place. Laws are the levers. I like that. Yeah. You know, I know, I know it's a, that's been said before in different ways, but I think that's really, it's good to make that explicit. Right. You know, as you think about these, these policies and kind of the underlying, it always reminds me of, you know, and I've mentioned him before, but Anand Girdadas, he talks about this idea of, you know, people giving towards a school or giving a very generous donation towards a school right. while at the same time lobbying against school reform. <laughs> you know, that really interesting. Speak on it. That yes. really interesting yes. dynamic of, man, I want to really love my neighbor and I'm going to do something really nice for you individually. But hey, why don't you shift the neighborhood and why don't you, sh- you know, support a policy yes. that actually shifts the climate of a particular area of life? And typically those people will align against it. And not only align against it, but lobby against it. Right, right, and I'm right. Like, well, Actively how do you fight? <laughs> yes, you can't do both. Like, I, how does this work, man? I'm so glad you mentioned that because I think at the heart of this is we have a lot of well-meaning people mm. who are treating the symptoms but not the cause. Wow. Yeah. So, so like you said, there are limits to philanthropy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can. Go volunteer and and feed the homeless, sure, right? Sure. That's great. Sure, but let's peel back the layers and see why folks don't have jobs. Yeah, yeah. You know what are the what are the what are the tax laws? What are who who are the people in power uh, with zoning power and whatnot, yeah. keeping businesses in or out, uh, maintaining access or or barring access to different things? Um, if we're if we're looking at the education system, right? Like it's great to tutor. Like do that, develop relationships with with kids and students, but also look at the gaps in funding that mean you're not paying teachers what they deserve, that um the or school activities, resources, man. School like- resources, activities that that um prevent uh, unions from forming, which can mm-hmm. lobby for better conditions for workers, all of these things, right? And you're absolutely right that sometimes we are extremely generous in treating the symptoms, but at the same time, turn around and work against changing the policies that will prevent the problem in the first place. (laughs) Yeah. So again, as Anand would say, you know, we're like a lot of famous people giving philanthropy are like the caped crusader, you know, Bruce Wayne creating all the problems and then putting on a cape and then trying to fix them at night. So I think these are, these are three really good things to start out with, but let's take a quick break and we'll be right back with the other three as we talk about navigating the political sphere right here on Pass the Mic. And we're back here on Pastor Mike. We've been talking about six ways to navigate the political sphere as it relates to a black Christian perspective and also any Christian from any political climate that can dive in and try to use their vote and their witness uh, faithfully and well in the in their political sphere. Uh, I would say number two for me is avoid false equivalency. Thank right? you. <laughs> Speak on I, that. Let, let me let me just let me say this. Let me say this because I think it's really important. I think there is a perception in all of us deep down in, well, I'll say this. There is a perception, especially in a lot of black Christians deep down that we need to show and prove that we're not too radical. We need to show and prove that we're not too slanted. We need to show and prove that we're not too far left. And what tends to happen is we're critiquing kind of a conservative sphere. We're critiquing an evangelical sphere or fundamentalist sphere, wherever you may have come out of. And as we're starting to pursue racial justice, we start kind of moving towards policies that would be considered liberal. And as we move towards those liberal policies, now other people are looking at us and pointing at us and saying, you're a liberal, you're a Marxist, you're a socialist. And they're pointing at us causes us to try to balance the scales of what we post, Mm. balance the scales of. So then we start just saying random things just to prove that we're not, well, I'm not too far this way. And then what that leads to is a, well, you know, both sides are pretty bad. You know, I mean, it's all, it's all pretty bad at the, at the end of the day, you know, and then, and then we start making these statements. We can't trust any of them. We can't trust anybody. Yeah. And it's like, well, 
I mean, I get the sentiment, but the reality is that's a very reductive way of looking at the American political landscape. There are two major parties and we have to choose. And one party is doing really well in some areas and the other party is doing really poorly in those areas. There is no equality in some of this stuff. So just because there is opposition doesn't mean that there's equal fault and doesn't mean that there's equal problems on both sides. So I think it's important for us to balance out and to measure what it looks like to say both sides have things that need to be changed. And this side is actually a threat to my existence. So let me not act like this side being a threat to my existence needs to be balanced out by the other side, me critiquing them and going down. Well, you know, they're not good either. And this, this and that. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a second. Who are you doing? Because it's performative. Mm. It's performative. Yes. We're trying to perform so that people don't think we're too far one way or the other. I think that is a bad philosophy as we enter in. I think that philosophy gives rise to Trump. I think that philosophy gives rise to a lot of extremists. Yes. Because we're trying to sit in the middle rather than take, you got to choose a side. Justice takes sides. We have to at a certain point. So I think that false equivalency uh, needs to be addressed holistically, I think, too. I think that's actually a problem with our morality. That's a problem with our ethics. And frankly, you know, I know I'm a pastor, but there's a problem with our discipleship. You know? Yeah, this is true. This is true. Um, you're so right. And and folks have to realize that not taking a side is taking a side. Right. I also got to address this. This idea that and I hear this a lot in, in the South, Southern Christians kind of throw up their hands and say, well, the media, it's just the media. Is it the, the, the media is the one that's creating all the division. The media is the one that's just exacerbating everything. And I want to take a step back and I'm like, um, what do you mean when you say that? Number one, the journalists are doing a job and we recognize that sometimes the media can inflate things and, 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 and focus on things and the breaking headlines, breaking news. We get all that. But that's just a function of our overall technology and society. If you're that offended by it, turn in your smartphone. You know, that's <laughs> what I want to say. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, you know, not getting into all that, but I would say, it's really important for us not to make something the scapegoat mm. as an avoidance for us dealing with the real issue that's always existed in our society. We just haven't bothered to pay attention to it. Yeah. And I'll say I've spoken to a lot of black folks and what I hear from many black people is, well, it's not going to make a difference anyway. Both 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 sides are right. talking out the yeah. side of their mouth. Yeah, yeah. And whoever's in office, it's not going to matter. To which I want to say, <laughs> um, it does matter, yeah. and I know it's frustrating because the the change that that affects you on an everyday basis you may not be seeing, right? Right. But right. there is something you can do about that. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and it's just so important for us not to make sweeping statements just because it doesn't affect us. Mm-hmm. It's so important for us not to make sweeping statements. I think of people who would not have health insurance today because if another candidate got in office, they wouldn't have signed a bill or an act to make sure that they had health insurance. I also think of the people who aren't alive today because they did not have the access to health insurance. This is just brass tacks. Like we actually need to keep people alive. Right. Yep. And then I also think about the the divide in third grade reading and seventh grade math achievement gap in my own County. And I think if there were different people in office, if there were different policies, if there was, if the money was going in a different direction, would that gap still exist? Right. And I'm not saying it's a panacea. Politics is not the panacea for all things, but we can't act like it doesn't have real world impact. Exactly. And I think there's also this like very subtle gambit being played um, by a conservative Christians that needs to be called out. It's this subtle gambit of devaluing government while angling to get more government power. Come on. Come on, So they're going to be like, oh, oh, the government, it's the government's fault. Oh, 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 well, you, I love this one. You know, it's, if the government doesn't give anything for free, it's going to cost us all something, right? I'm like, the private sector doesn't either. I mean, you know, it's costing us in different ways. Yeah. And so they're, they're trying to push you away from government regulation and government oversight while angling through their votes, through their posts, through their power, through their donations to get more government. That's a gambit. We see through it. 
We call it. We calling it out because so I think that's a problem that needs to be addressed. So I go to school in Mississippi, and it is a a deeply Republican state as far as voting patterns go. Yeah. And uh, but there's a very vibrant and dynamic coalition of um, Democratic voters and, mm-hmm. and others. But as far as who wins, is a deeply red state sure. right now. And they decry big government. Right, and they right. decry government handouts. Right. At the same time, they're the recipients of some of the highest rates of federal government aid in the country. Mm. Through subsidies <laughs> and, and Wow, and, bro. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so it's, wow. ta- it's like you got to be savvy and, and be on game, like you said. Uh, between people who are, you know, vocally speaking out against encroachment of government, especially right. the feather, federal government, and at the same time, em- enjoying lots of benefits. Right. So, so we have this. We have this. Uh, keep the government out of this and that. Right. And then we have put God back in the schools yes. through <laughs> government like, action. Wait a second, hold up. Wait, like, how are you guys going <laughs> back and happening? forth here? It's like, very selective. you know, it's like, man, we need to keep government out of it, government oversight. And then this one, I love. They talk about the Second Amendment, right? And so they say the Second Amendment. It's like, man, we need to we need to have a well regulated militia, you know, just in case, just in case the government like tries to act crazy, right? Just in case the government, we're prepared. Like citizens, we're ready. Oh, by the way, let's vote for more military funding. Let's vote for more. It's like, wait, wow. what? Like, yep. how is this happening? Yep. So yep. you want to strengthen the thing that might overthrow you? And then I'm like, whoa, what's happening here? There's just there's just a lot of little it's a lot. layers in it's there a lot. that yes. I think, you know, we need to be aware of as black Christians. Okay, you're number three. Let your politics serve the disinherited. Wow. So we opened with a quote from Howard Thurman, and he was describing the dispossessed, the poor, the people with their backs against the wall. There's nobody like Howard Thurman, man. man. He broke it down. Now, he that comes from his book, Jesus and the Disinherited. Um, Which is an important political read right exactly, now. Exactly. Exactly. An important political read. And he's speaking to a situation of Black Americans, uh, particularly in light of the Great Depression, which affected a lot of people, but it was especially crushing for Black people who already mm-hmm. didn't have much, right? right. And, and they're the first to lose jobs, they're the last to get help from the government, all of these kinds of things. And so he's talking about the the, the disinherited people, the, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, the oppressed. And he's saying, how do we serve them? How does Jesus enter into that story? And what he's saying is that, earthly speaking, Jesus was part of the disinherited. He's a poor carpenter from Nazareth. Right. He has no special training or credentials. And yet when he goes around, he preaches with authority. And who are the people who are responding to him? It's the poor people. Mm -hmm. It's the disenfranchised. It's the disinherited. And who are the people who are rejecting and opposing him? It's the people who have money, power, influence, position, Right. right. right? Which is not to say that Jesus was a Republican or a Democrat. It is to say that Jesus was concerned about how we love our neighbor and how what we do affects the least of these, yeah. my brothers and sisters, right? So so when we think Christianly about politics, we have to bear that in mind. Mm-hmm. Who are these policies serving? Who gets the biggest benefits? Right. And so a talking point on a, a major piece of legislation in this administration was uh, these huge corporate tax breaks. Yeah. <laughs> and the idea was, well, when you when you free up it's these huge staggering. corporations and 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 free them of some of these financial burdens, it'll create more jobs, it'll spur the economy, and that will sort of trickle down mm-hmm. those benefits mm-hmm. to the rest of the people. Study after study, analysis after analysis has shown that is simply not the case, Mm. that the rich keep getting richer and the poor keep getting poorer. Mm -hmm. We are seeing an enormous wealth gap where a handful of people own the majority of wealth in the, not only the entire nation, but the entire world. So now when you go to the voting booth, when you look at a political platform, what are you going to do about that? Mm. Are you going to support policies that empower the already empowered? Hmm. Or are you going to support policies that are for the disinherited, that, that, that share power, share wealth? Listen, 
we live in the wealthiest country the world has ever known. Mm -hmm. How are there people who are homeless? How are there people who don't have enough food? Come on, King. How Come are on, there Dr. people King? who are literally dying, as you said before, because they don't have adequate health care? Yeah, yeah. Where is the money? We have trillions for military and, and, and for mm -hmm. wars in the Middle East with very questionable bases, right? Right, right. We have billions in tax breaks to give to corporations, mm -hmm. but we don't have enough money for Shaquan yeah, in school. Yeah, yeah. You know, mm. whoever it might be, right? That's good, bro. Man, I and and I'm just going to go ahead and roll into mine because my last point is prioritize the marginalized, you know, so I think it really connects. And I was thinking, man, I should come up with something else like on the fly. But the reality is, I think I think these things go together. Such an important point. And I think it's important for us to reemphasize it. I'll never forget. I was sitting down. Um, actually, I was I was having a conversation in passing at um, this kind of church gathering. And it was uh, a bunch of different churches were coming together. A predominantly white gathering. And I remember one of the guys was talking to me and he said, man, you know, uh, I think this was when Obama was still president. So there was a lot of residual stuff that that gets kind of hashed out in those meetings. And so this this white pastor or white ministry leader was, you know, he's, he was talking in in passing with me and a couple of other people about someone that he knew that was a doctor and he said, well, this doctor, um, you know, he was he spent years working in, you know, kind of an urban sector. And he saw that these people didn't have access to health insurance in an adequate way or there was some something related to health insurance. And it was just fascinating because he told me, you know, because of that, he went and voted Democrat. And I was like, wow, like what a what a mistake. And that's what he said. I was like, wait, what? Like, huh. so he was basically saying that his proximity to these people actually created empathy so much so that he changed his political affiliation. Uh -huh. And I was like, ain't that the goal? Like, <laughs> that's what we want, right? right I right. mean, if your proximity doesn't actually flow into how you're casting your vote, flow into your political ideology, Thank you. Thank you. flow into the way that you live and love your neighbor, what's the point of all this? This was, this was what was so painful for many black Christians about the 2016 election. Because so many of us had had committed ourselves and yeah. even our families to this project of racial reconciliation, right. integration, you know, brotherly love, right? All of these things across racial lines. And what we thought, we, we believed folks, we believed white Christians when they said they wanted this and that we were equal and that we mattered. Um, right, right. Yeah. And then to go in the voting booth. And pull the lever for this man whose rhetoric and actions have been so detrimental to so many people, right? So many marginalized groups, people of color, women, immigrants, yeah. Muslims, you name it. That felt like a betrayal for many of us yeah. because, as you say, the proximity didn't change the policy. Yeah. Uh, like, how is it that, and this, uh, you know, I ask this every year on MLK Day, you know, how is it that so many people who are, who are literally opposed to saying black lives matter allowed to post all these mlk quotes you know i just always ask this, make like, it make sense i'm like how like how are you in this space you know how is it that we do these grand uh portrayals and grand performances of foot washing on stages you know interracial foot washings mm. i'm serving you these acts of repentance. It's like, oh, yes. yes. Right. And then it just never translates into your vote. Right. There's like, how does that not, how does that work? Like, you right. know, so if I, if I wear a Black Lives Matter, can I wear a Black Lives Matter shirt to your church? Right. And not get dirty looks. And I have someone push me to the side, pull me to the side and say, you know what? We need to talk about this. This is divisive. Yeah, you know, this is divisive. Like, <laughs> when we, we're here, we're a diverse church. We're here just to worship God together. It's like, why is it that these things don't intersect? And it hurts me because I feel that Black Christians bear so much weight yeah, and bear so much emotional trauma and pain in maintaining their sanity in spaces that don't prioritize the marginalized. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the disconnect is what we mentioned before, um, folks not thinking in terms of policies, but only in terms of personal behavior. Yeah. So yeah. they're thinking, okay, well, if I post this quote, or if I have this relationship, 
then I'm all good, right? I'm not racist. I'm for my neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. Never connecting the dots to see why your neighbor is in the position right. she's in in the first right, place right. is because of not a policy, but even a history of policies. Yeah. And, and and let me actually say what I think this this can look like practically, because I think what what it can sound like is, you know, we hold someone hostage for a vote, basically. Oh, you didn't vote for this person or you voted for that person. People make it very one to one. But I think there's a range and a gambit of things that you can do. I'll give you an example. Um, if if it relates to uh, there, there's a representative currently in um, our county, a congressman who's actually very infamous uh, nationally. Hmm. And so I've mentioned him before on the podcast how I wrote wrote to him. He never responded to me, you know, about some comments that he had made about Confederate monuments in our county. And one of the things that frustrated me is is I felt like no one in the course of the election, there were a few people who brought it up, but no one in the course of the election who would have voted conservative stood up and said, what's your plan for black Pensacola? Like, what's your plan for the black people in Escambia County? And I think it's it's one thing if I do that, but it's another thing if someone says, hey, I've been a lifelong Republican. <laughs> like, I've been dipped in red Republican. I've given a lot of money to Republican candidates. I have a problem here because this relationship that I have with my brother is showing me things I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do about this? Mm-hmm. Have you considered this? Because you seem really tied to this administration, so much so that I think it's compromising your ability to serve our area. Man, speak on it. Like Somebody that, can take your exact quote like and, that's and it. do you that. You can take yes. the exact quote and say, what's your plan yes. for this group of people? What is your plan for this marginalized people group? And how do you plan to affirm their dignity? And how do you, how do you plan to create policies that lead to their flourishing? If they don't have any answer... That's when you don't vote for them. That's right. when you tell them we have no intentions of voting for you until you come up with a policy or until you come up with a plan that speaks to all of our city. Otherwise, we're not going to vote for you. I'm just letting you know that. Yes. And I think there's there's I'll say this. If you're going to prioritize the marginalized. Got to have courage. You know, got to have right. boldness. Absolutely. There has to be a level of disruption that you're willing to, to engage in in solidarity with our with our lives. And it is frustrating to me to hear people just throw their hands up. It's like, so what do you want me to do? What do you mean? What do I want you to do? The campaign representatives in your county and in your city should be challenged by you. That's right. Don't retweet and like my statuses. <laughs> Don't retweet my tweets. Don't be like, man, you're so inspiring. But then you're not willing to represent me in in your company. That's right. I'm not invited to those rooms. If you got power, utilize your power. Throw your weight around. That's good. And so I think it's important for us to take a step back and say, man, we got to have some, this is the word, imagination. <laughs> we got to have some imagination here. We have to have some sort of sense that it's not just a one-to-one. There are a range of options that we have. I think for me, it boils down to if I'm thinking about a Christian view of politics, how can politics help me love my neighbor? How can policies lead to the flourishing of other people? Yeah. Especially those who don't have as much access to mm-hmm. earthly forms of power, right? And if we got if if we let that guide us, yeah. I think it shapes our our political outlooks substantially. There's a lot I don't know. There's a lot I don't understand. There's a lot I'm still learning. Yes. But in every political discussion, in every policy issue, I'm trying to think, who is this negatively affecting? And am I okay with running down a ballot and consistently voting against the marginalized? Mm. Am I okay running down a ballot and consistently turning a blind eye to plain things that people just keep telling me? If you know what you're supposed to do and you don't do it, it's sin. Right. Like if you if you can look across the table and be like, wow, man, I'm praying for you. If you have the means to help meet a need and you refuse to do it after someone has humbly pleaded with you, what kind of friendship is that? What kind of love is that? That's not love for neighbor. That's self-interest. And we have to we have to push that away. Well, I think it's helpful. Uh, certainly enlightened me, motivated me to 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 yeah, be an man. informed political actor in some ways. And so there's a lot more we can say. This is really the beginning of a conversation. Um, but 
this is a way, it's it's a framework and some guidelines to think through these things Christianly and from a black Christian perspective and from the perspective of the marginalized and the disinherited. Yeah. Six ways to navigate the political landscape. Stay tuned. We're going to be back with a fun little segment. Some of you guys may have heard. Some of you may just be being introduced to right now. And it is three questions with Jamar and Tyler. Stay tuned. Well, hey, family, this is Tyler. We're just taking a break from today's episode to tell you about an exciting offer for you, our listeners. If you're like me, as much as I try not to, the first thing I do when I wake up is I am so tempted to look at my phone. If you're like me, honest enough to admit it, then we want you to try this. Instead of checking social media, open the Abide app. Start your day in the spirit and peace of Christ. Abide is the number one Christian meditation app. Abide users report less stress, lower levels of anxiety and depression, and also better sleep. You can start your day off with Abide's daily meditations that are based on biblical scripture. These audio meditations will center you and draw you closer to Christ. You can get started right now with 25% off of a premium subscription by downloading the Abide app at abide.co forward slash PTM. You'll get additional stories, meditations, premium music, soothing sounds, and more. That's A-B-I-D-E dot C-O forward slash P-T-M to download the Abide app and get 25% off your premium subscription. And we're back for everyone's favorite segment, Three Questions with Jamar and Tyler. Bro, I love this segment. Okay, okay. Number one for me. Number one. Uh, for those who don't know, these are three questions that we came up with, uh, you know, kind of away from the other person. And so we asked these questions kind of to spring it on them and also to get to know them a little bit better. My number one question, who was your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher? I've had some great educators. Um Mr. Morin was my seventh and eighth grade science teacher. Oh, bet. It was so fun. He had a huge aquarium in his room. Uh, we used to play this game where you would go around to each student and they would have to name an animal and you would go through the alphabet. And so they'd have to name an animal with the, the um, letter of the alphabet that you mm. were on. And I was killer at the game. I was killer. Wow. Okay, bad, bad. Um, so I'm not a science guy at all, but he yeah. made it fun. He made it interesting. Uh, I've had some hard teachers. Miss Adler was my freshman uh, year in high school composition teacher. Oh, yeah. She 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 pounded into us the structure of, of a themed essay, and I hated it at the time, but she taught me the precision and the yeah. value of, of planning. Now uh, you're a best-selling uh, author, bro. Look man, at that. Look, hey. You, you got to have those teachers that that that, 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 that stretch you, you yeah, know. So I've course. got a pantheon of folks. Great question. That's really good. Uh, your first question, since we were talking about politics earlier, okay. who did you vote for in the first presidential election you voted? Who did I vote for in the first presidential election I voted? When was that? Oh, that was, I think that was 2008. So I think it was John McCain. Yeah. All right. All yeah, right. So that was John McCain, man. So I was, I was obviously on campus at... LU and um yeah it was it was very interesting. I waffled a lot with that one though. The second time around I voted third party. Yeah, so the the first time around I I waffled really hard because there was there was the moment of history and it was almost like I was I was at the time feeling like that was my reasonable service as a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so I would like dive into all the anti Obama stuff. And the more I dived into the anti-Obama stuff, the more I liked him. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like, oh, man, you know, and right after that, I, I always say like, after the 2012 celebration, when they were celebrating the Obama win, and I saw how diverse and young the crowd was mm. who was celebrating. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, snap, mm. that's me. And I look at, you know, the other sides and nobody represents me, you know, nobody's speaking to me. That's so I think talk. that was a that was a moment for me. OK, number two. Uh, what food is underrated or underappreciated? What food? Yeah. <sighs> um, 
I don't know that potatoes get the glory they deserve. Okay, oh, hold on. So you you're talking about sweet potatoes, mashed potatoes, baked potatoes? How does that work? That's the whole point. It's such a variety what you can do with the potato. So I'm talking about like a regular potato, not necessarily sweet potato, um, and the diversity of it. Whether French fries, au gratin, uh, 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 mashed, you know, baked. I can have a potato with just about every meal. Hash browns at breakfast, French fries at lunch. I know it's bad for you. Uh, baked potato at dinner, you know? I mean, potatoes are potatoes, though. Like, I think they're pretty much rated properly. <laughs> See, that's why I, that's my point. It's like a lot of times a potato makes it a meal, right? You can have a steak. That's dope. But now you got a steak and a baked potato? You can have a hamburger. Great. Oh, you could just have now a you steak. have a hamburger and french fries. Yeah, now I it's mean, a meal. Okay, so what you're talking about kind of makes me think potatoes are overrated. So wow. I'm gonna let you I'm gonna let you yeah. I'm gonna let you stay there well, though. This is your question. You got question. a lot of misguided opinions. This is so your question. This would so be I'm just, just I'm gonna one. let you stand in your truth. <laughs> I see you, bro. I see you. I'm gonna prioritize the marginalized food. Here. Okay. Okay, what's your number right. two? Um what one movie have you watched the most in your life? Ooh, what one movie have I watched the most in my life? Um, you know, if we're talking about like, okay, so I think there was like three movies that kind of for different eras and I don't know which one would kind of be the most. So like, I think as a kid, it was Lion King. Mm. Um, as a teenager it was, you got served. Are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, that last battle holds up. Yes, that about That you. last yes. battle holds up. Okay. The, um, what was a, uh. Oh yeah, they did. I think they did pump it up at the end. Pump, 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 pump. Yes. Yo, that thing is crazy. Yes. But as an adult, man, definitely the uh, swimming movie Pride. Oh wow! Yeah, wow. The only movie that, um, no matter where I'm at, no matter what I'm doing, makes me cry. The mm. only movie. Mm. Yeah. All so right. those those three would definitely be up there. Interesting. Um, my final question for you is: What was your worst haircut experience? Ooh. Uh. I was trying to grow my hair out and I went to the barber and I didn't really know. Adult kid? Where are you at? What are you at? Adult. Oh, oh like snap. We, we talking like last year, year and a half, Ooh. right? <laughs> I'm going to go back and look at them pictures though. Hold Ain't up. no pictures from that era. Uh-uh. <laughs> Thankfully, it grows back pretty quick. Um, and so I'm growing my hair out and I didn't really know what to tell the barber. I wanted a temple fade. And I didn't know what it was called. And I made it's the mistake. A temple fade. I, I know that now. <laughs> And you got to understand, for years... Give me this black car, bro. You don't know Temple Faye? I'm snatching that thing. You talk about me and Friday, me and Faye. You don't know Temple Faye, bro? I'm talking about... Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about the context. Get, hand it over. Hand it over you right now. Even, you, ain't, you ain't even let me answer, though. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. I'm going to let you I, cook. Can I talk I'm going to let you cook. Can I talk now? I'm going to let you cook. So you got to understand... I don't even know what a Temple Faye is. In undergrad, I'm shaving my head bald. And then for the next decade... I'm doing one length close to the hair, to close to the scalp. I don't, I don't even go to the barber. I don't need a barber at that point. And so it's only when I'm growing my hair out and I need a fade done professionally and a lineup done professionally that this happens. So I go and the dude basically gives me a bowl cut. Like, Dang. even if you don't know the name of what you're trying to get, a bowl cut is never appropriate, <laughs> right? Like, at a black barbershop. Dang, so, so that was, uh, that was he a- He tried you, bro. He tried you. It was difficult. Um, Did you go to back say, to that barber? Needless to say, I no longer go to that barber. Ooh. <laughs> Let me tell you, like, a bad barbershop experience, like, we've talked about it before. It's traumatic. But you get the bad, you get the jagged line. You know, you get your hairline pushed back. It's a betrayal. You get the fade that goes too high. <laughs> That's like a whoa. You get somebody who cuts your cuts your beard down low, lose all that growth. It's a problem, man. Okay, I feel you. I feel it's you. a sacred trust. Still snatching that car for that temple. You don't know what the temple fade well, whatever, is, bro. Man, get us out of here, man. Anyway, last my, question my number three. Who is the most famous person you've ever met? Who, man. I don't know how we would quantify this. I would say probably George Foreman, but it depends how that works itself out as far as I think, but I don't know. I mean, man, it just, you met a lot. I do know that. I mean, I met a few, but it's like, it's like the Christian world versus the, 
mainstream. Yeah, I mean, like, like I feel mainstream, like I've met some, somebody, you, the, the most recognizable person, like walking down the street. Man, it'd probably be George Foreman. But I mean, I met some, I met some like off the wall people. He's like, whoa, like what are they doing here? Like who? Um, man, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, Dominique Wilkins. <laughs> um, man, who else? I've met some singers, artists. Who's that artist? Man, it's a really good question. I met some movie stars. I mean, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe Michael B. Jordan probably be the most. No famous. doubt. Yeah, yes. I've met him in person. Um, yep. But I don't I don't know. George Foreman was a funny story. So we went to this um, real briefly. We went to uh, a fight for another famous boxer, Roy Jones, who's mm-hmm. from Pensacola. So he had a major fight at our largest auditorium, the Bay Center. So Roy Jones, I was like seven, eight years old. And we walked up there with no tickets, me and my dad. And dude just pulls out his check. He's like, hey, Pastor Burns, like, how you doing? He's like, yeah, we good. You say, you going to the fight? He had no idea we were coming. He was waiting for someone else. He's like, yeah. And dude was like, you know, there ain't no tickets. You got tickets? He's like, nah, we don't. He's like, so I'm like, you know, I'm kind of like down. And dude just like reaches in his checkbook, pulls out two tickets. He's like, here you go. It was like seven rows back. What? Yeah, like seven well, rows back. Those are his only tickets? So he had some extras? Nah, he just had extras. Whoa. And I think somebody had just pulled out. Mm. And he was like, here you go. Mm. Um, and so watch the fight. Roy Jones knocks him out. It was incredible. And so this was before the era of cell phones. So we had to go across the street to the hotel to call my mom to come pick us up. So we're calling, we're calling, we're calling. Needless to say, long story short, she doesn't pick up. So we actually have to walk back home. So oh, we wow. walk like 10 miles through no. the hood. <laughs> yeah, it was. So I was like an eight-year-old. We just walked through the hood. Like, you know, we didn't have money for a cab. So we just like walked through the hood, uh, which was really dope. It was a great experience. But, you know, there we're in there. My dad's on a payphone, like trying to call my mom, trying to get my mom to come up. And in walks Michael Buffer. Hmm. You know, let's get ready to rumble. The guy who says, yeah. let's get ready to rumble. In walks Michael Buffer. And I was going to go up and be, I was like, yo, Michael Buffer. But I can tell y'all this because y'all adults, I don't really always like say this, but he had a woman on each arm and he my was my going my. straight to the elevator. My so I was my like, my okay, my. yeah, he's, he's, he's doing something else. Occupied. So I'm like, uh. <laughs> I was like something in me, even like eight year old me. I was like, uh, I don't think I'm supposed time. to do that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I see all these like these, you know, flash bulbs at George, George, George. And in walks George Foreman. And it's like 15 or so reporters. My, my, my. Like chasing him. Like, oh, you said you were going to get a, give us an interview. And George was just kind of waving. And, and so I just instinctively, I was like, yo. And my dad was like turning and looking. I was like, yo. And I just like ran to George Foreman. Wow. Right? So I just like ran to him. And I was going to like shake his hand. But he like tickled my face. And I was like, bruh, like I just wanted a handshake. So anyway, I just like ran back to my dad. <laughs> he was like, hey, kid. I was like, wait a second. What? Wow. But okay. yeah, so that was cool. But it was, it was a moment because for me, for someone that famous to see me mm-hmm. when everybody was trying to get his attention, mm-hmm. it was like a real moment for me just as a young black man. So that was, that was really cool. So that was like probably the most fun little story. Yeah. Of a famous person. That's that's good. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this segment. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. You can reach out to us at underscore Pastor Mike at the witness BCC at burns 23 and at Jamar Tisby, but stay tuned right here for the next episode on pass the mic. Mm-hmm.